just want to tell you right off the bat that this is going to be a very uncomfortable sermon. And I just want to let you know that right off from the very beginning because some of you guys will be hurt from this sermon, which is normal. Amen? It is normal in the series church. The word of God is a sword. It is a knife. But there is a difference between a butcher's knife and a surgeon's knife. One cuts to kill. The other cuts to heal. Amen? And so what we're going to be talking about today is going to affect a lot of people. And everybody in this congregation is involved when it comes to this subject. However, I will be speaking directly to a certain group of individuals in this church. So let's start with the word of prayer and ask God to prepare our heart. Amen? Father in heaven, we thank you so much again for your grace, for your goodness, for your kindness. Lord, as we jump into this message, Father, we need to humble ourselves first and ask that you would prepare our heart. God, we need you to speak directly to us. We don't want a soft sermon, a fluffy sermon, God. We want a direct message of God that will shake us, that will wake us up out of the slumber. And we pray, Jesus, that we'd walk away from this message with our hearts stirred, and that every person would know that you have been in this place. God, oftentimes this world clings to us and draws us into its darkness. But Jesus, we pray that you would unsheath your sword, the word of God, like never before. And that the Holy Spirit would convict us like never before. And Jesus, we pray that you would show us our duty like never before. For this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The name of the sermon is called Beers, Bullets, and Bellies. Beers, Bullets, and Bellies. No, this is not a sermon about the health message. However, that may be in the future. This sermon is going to be about something else. And I think you'll begin to pick up on it very quickly. I was reading an article online, and it got my heart stirred. And just this intensity of emotion began to come upon me as I was reading this article. And I want to read you a part of this article. And it had to do with the man. And this is, what the Bible, this is what this article says about men in the United States, right here. It's talking about the response of men or the responsibilities of men to their families, to society. And this is what it says. Today, 18 to 34-year-olds spend more time playing video games a day than 12 to 17-year-olds. While men, women are graduating college and finding good jobs, too many men are not going to work, not getting married, and not raising families. Women are beginning to take the place of men in many ways. This has led some to ask, do we even need men? Amen. <laughs> so what's wrong? Increasingly, the messages to boys about what it means to be a man are confusing. The machismo of the street gang calls out with the swagger. Video games, television, and music offer dubious lessons to boys who have been abandoned by their fathers. Some coaches and drill sergeants bark, what kind of man are you, but don't explain. Movies are filled with stories of men who refuse to grow up and refuse to take responsibility in relationships. Men, some obsessed with sex, treat women as toys to be discarded when things get complicated. Through all these different and conflicting signals, our boys must decipher what it be, means to be a man, and for many of them, it is harder to figure out. For boys to become men, they needed to be guided through advice, habit, instruction, example, and correction. It is true in all ages. Someone once characterized the two essential questions Plato posed asked, who teaches the children and what do we teach them? Each generation of men and women have an obligation to teach the younger males, and females of course, coming behind them. William Wordsworth said, what we have loved, others will love, and we will teach them how. When they fail in that obligation, trouble surely follows. We need to respond to this culture that sends confusing signals to young men, 
A culture that is agnostic about what it wants men to be with a clear and achievable notion of manhood. The founding fathers believed, and the evidence still shows, that industrialists, marriage, and religion are an important basis for male empowerment and achievement. We need to say to a number of our 20-something men, get off the video games five hours a day, get yourself together, get a challenging job, and get married. It is time for men to stand up. Can you say amen to that? Amen. I appreciate that. Folks, I want you to understand something, and I think you kind of know where we're going with this sermon. Society is telling us one direction. This is what it means to be a man. Media is telling us the same direction. This is what it means to be a man. And all these views about what it means to a man are completely contrary to what the Bible teaches. And God is calling for some people to wake up in this congregation and say, No, this is not what it means to be a man. Can you say amen to that? In fact, we're going to look at somebody who made the same admonition to his son. Take your Bible, go to 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. And if you're there, go ahead and say amen. This is the story as David is coming to the end of his life. He's been an old king. He has seen many things. He has fought many wars. He's experienced so much in the world. And now he knows his son is about to take over his kingdom. His son is inexperienced. He hasn't been through a lot. He's young. And so he wants to say the perfect words to his son, things that will wake his son up and help him to realize that there is a responsibility that God has upon him. Can you say amen to that? Watch what the Bible says right here. Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a what? A man. In some translations it says, show yourself to be a man. David was at the end of his life. He knew he had to remind Solomon of a great responsibility that was resting upon him. That he needed to be a man. Because all of society was saying, this is what it takes to be a man. This is what it means to be a man. However, God had a different view of what a man is. Folks, if you ask today, you go to the average person on the street and you say, what is a man? And you know what they will tell you? It's somebody who carries a gun. That's the definition of a man. I'm not opposed to, to the owning of guns. I have a lot of friends who own guns. But if that is the definition of what it means to be a man, we're all in a lot of trouble. Except for maybe our deacons. You ask some others, and you say, what is the definition of a godly man? You know what they will tell you, or a man? They will say, well, it's somebody who sits around in front of the TV with his belly hanging out, wearing a wife hugger shirt, and drinking beer all day. This is what a man is. It's somebody who grunts all the time and walks around with these big burly arms, and that's what a man is. But folks, the Bible has a completely different definition of what a man should be. And we need to understand this. And this was the exact same charge that King David was saying to Solomon. You need to be a man. It is time for you to rise up and take the responsibilities that God has given you. Be a man. Folks, we need to understand this. What the Bible is teaching when it comes to being a man. Biblical manhood. Look what the Bible says right here. Psalms 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man are what? Oh, come on, let's say it a little louder. The steps of a good man are what? Ordered by who? By the Lord. In other words, God has all the stages of a man lined up. He has all the stages of a man lined up. And the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. God has all the steps for a man. For a boy to become a man. And beyond that. You're saying beyond that? You'll see. In the Jewish culture, what you often found when it came to the steps or the progression of a male, it went something like this. 
It started off with somebody who was called a boy. He was generally a male under the age of 12 years old. But as soon as he was 12 years old, generally in the Jewish system, you jump to, being man, you jump to manhood. But in today's society, you, do what's called, you go into what's called adolescence. 13 through the age of 18. That's the supposed boundaries. So you have boy, adolescence, then you have men. But the Bible goes further. You then have mentor. And after mentor, you have patriarch. Do you see the progression? I want to say it one more time. Boy, adolescence, man, mentor, and what's the last one? Patriarch. This was the stages of a man. And the Bible says these things are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in this. God is pleased when his people follow his ways. And it is his desire to restore in mankind the image of God that was lost through sin. And one of the reasons why God became a man is so that he can show men how to be men. Can you say amen to that? And so what we're going to be doing, we're going to be looking at these various stages. The first stage, boyhood. Watch what the Bible says in Psalms 127, verses 3 to 5. Let's go there right now. Amen. Amen. Watch what the Bible says right here, Psalms 123, verses 3 to 5. Behold, children are a what? Heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks to his enemies in the gate. The Bible compares children to what? To arrows. And what are arrows used for? What are arrows used for? Do you use arrows in cooking? Do you use arrows when you're fixing a car? What do you use arrows for? For battle. For battle. The Bible makes it very clear. One of the blessings of having children is that they will be a benefit in your spiritual warfare. The Bible says that they are arrows in the hands of a warrior. When aimed right, they will hit their target. They will hit it right on. Wherever you want that mold to go, wherever you want that direction, the trajectory, it will fire and it will hit. And it depends upon the work you are willing to put in to that child's life. Unfortunately, we now live in a culture where there is a lot of men who are abandoning their children and leaving it up to their wives to take care of. And that is one of the saddest things in this culture. Folks, you need to understand something. God requires you to be faithful to your children. Can you say amen to that? In fact, watch what else the Bible says. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20. I'm going to read this to you. When your son asks you in the time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, the judgments, which the Lord our God has commanded you? So it's when your son asks you these questions, What are all these things that you are doing? Watch the response. Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Folks, I want you to understand something. Your kids should take notice that you are a Christian. Amen? Your kids ought to know that this is a house of God. Amen? Amen. Folks, I'll tell you this. One of, the, one of the stories I had watched, well, not watched, but uh, stories I had read about when I was younger was the story of Helen Keller. You know who that is? What was Helen Keller born with? Well, she was blind, and what else? And deaf. And she couldn't speak. She was mute. Now, were all the odds stacked up against her? Do you know that when she was young, that her family didn't know how to raise her up? You know what they would do? They would sit down at the, at the dinner table, and because they felt they didn't know how to teach her or educate her, she would go around, get up, pick up food, and just in the middle, while people were eating, take it and just start eating it. She made a mess. And when guests came over, they were just shocked that this, this person would act like this. And the family would say, we don't know how to educate her. 
But do you know who showed up in her life? Who showed up in her life? Who? Ann Sullivan. Do you know what she did? She did a miracle. She began to spend time with this girl who was considered undisciplined. This girl who was considered uneducated, who was considered chaotic, she would spend time with her and she would slowly and methodically work with her until this, this young girl began to mature and develop. And if you read anything of Helen Keller, you know that does not sound like somebody who grew up deaf, mute, and blind. It's amazing. Folks, the biblical picture of this is when it comes to kids that parents are responsible, especially fathers are responsible for the bringing up of their children. And male boys have a desire for exploration. Can you say amen to that? And oftentimes as parents, we snap at them. And we need to learn that when it comes to children, you need not learn how to react, but how to act. Do you see this, what I'm talking about? Oftentimes, parents will, will scrutinize their child. They will smack their child in anger without thinking and praying about it first. Folks, when it comes to the raising up of your, your children, you need to think and plan and pray and ask God what would be best for your child in disciplining them at that moment. Can you say amen to that? There's two extremes. The one extreme is where somebody just starts smacking their child left and right without stopping. The other extreme is, well, he's just, I just can't handle him. He's just, he's just an animal sometimes. We let him do what he wants. Wrong. You are responsible. You are responsible for your child. If you leave it up to the school, and if you leave it up to, to the church, I'm sorry. Do not expect the best results. You alone are responsible for the raising up of your child. And if you think this responsibility rests upon the teacher or even the youth pastor, you've got a lot coming to you. God wants you to be responsible for your child. Can you say amen to that? We ought to raise our children to be able to sit down in church. And I know some children don't want to sit down. That's okay. You work with them where they're at, right? But you don't stop working with them. Amen? And we as a church family, we need to instruct children as well. By the way, the elders, you are responsible too for the families in this church. You are to keep an eye out for the families of the church. And you are to instruct with love and admonition other families in how they should raise up their children. Because there is a whole world of people who don't know how to raise children. Can you say amen to that? But like any mother's prayer, if you pray and ask Jesus to help you, he will send help. He will send help. Here are some areas when it comes to raising up a child. Four areas. And I pulled this from Dennis Rainey's book, Stepping Up, which I highly recommend for all the men. Four areas. Character. You need to teach your child, your, your boy, about character. What is wise and what is foolish? In other words, what is the difference between right and wrong? You also need to focus on relationships, a focus on identity, and a focus on missions. Because if you don't train your kids in this area, somebody else will. Amen? And I say this with love, and I, and I, and I mean this with all my heart. <laughs> you know what? Let me just back up. I'll tell you this. I actually saw one of the most awesome things take place. It was one of our elders. No glory to him. He's not going to get a big head from this. But his name is Jay. And I saw Jay one day during communion service. He did something very interesting. And I was just watching from the corner of my eye, and my heart was stirred with this. I was like, this is how you work with the boy. You know what he did? He was doing communion with his own boy. And as they were doing communion, he'd stop and he would direct his boy to understand and understand what was taking place. He was spending time with his boy and he was showing them what communion was all about. And I was there watching the whole thing and I was just blown away and I said, this is rare. This is rare these days. Part of the commandment that you find when it comes to boyhood is that God commands that his people honor their father and their mother all the days of their life. Amen? We need to teach children how to respect parents and respect those who are older than us. Can I have a hearty amen to that? Amen. Folks, I was raised in a culture that if you talk back 
to somebody who is older than you. Woo! That's five across the face. Now when the child talks back to the parents or talks back to their teacher, we just say, well, they have civil rights. We don't want to disrespect their civil rights. They can say what they want. Are you kidding me? Are you really kidding me? Folks, we need to teach our children, especially the young males, how to respect those who are older. And my heart is stirred when I see young kids who are disrespecting those who are older. And by the way, I want to throw this in there too. If you want your child to become a child of hell, I'm going to give you some advice on how to do it. Criticize the church in front of them. Criticize the pastors in front of them. Criticize the religion in front of them. And I promise you this, those seeds will bear fruit. And you will have a child, as soon as he's 18, he's gone from that church, and you will ask yourself, why? Folks, I want you to understand something. You are responsible for your child's spiritual development. Amen? You've got to invest in this. And if you value something, you're going to invest more in it. Amen? If you care about your child's education, then you need to invest as much as possible into your child's education. Now let's go up to the next stage. Adolescence. This is the ages from 13 all the way to 18. By the way, did you know that the word teenager did not appear in the dictionary until 1921? In other words, there was no concept of a teenager or adolescence. You know what the stages was? It was a stage of a boy all the way to a man. You go to different cultures and you will often find the sort of stage or the process that led a boy to become a man was something called the rites of passage, right? You go to different parts of Africa and you will find that young Maasai warriors at a young age had to learn to kill a lion. One of my friends was a missionary in Africa and he said actually that the lions, whenever they see the red clothing of the Maasai, they run. Imagine this, telling your 12-year-old boy, take a few spears, take your friends, go kill a lion. And you'll come back as a man. We don't have any rites of passages in our society today, or at least in America. You know what some other cultures do? There's a culture in Ethiopia, when it comes to when the boy becomes a man, you know what their sort of process is? They will tell the 12-year-old boys... They said, we're going to, we're, we're a traveling group of uh, nomads, and uh, we're going to leave you with some weapons, but we're going to go out into town. There's some marauders in this area. You need to be very careful. We want you to protect your mom and the little children, all the animals, and all the supplies. And what takes place, I watched a documentary. It's very interesting. The, the fathers would actually leave, and they would go around. They would put on disguises, come around, and attack the tribe from behind. And they watched to see if the boys protected the tribe or if some ran off. And in the documentary, you see some of these boys grab their clubs and start swinging. And little did they know, they were swinging at their own dads. At the very end, after a good thrashing the fathers received, they took off their, their mask and said, hey, it's us. And the boys stood there in shock. To them, learning how to protect the family was their rite of passage. There was actually Native American cultures. When it came to a boy becoming a man, you know what they would do? They would take a boy, and when he was about 12, 13 years old, they would blindfold him, put him in the middle of a forest. And he was to stay there all night, and he was not to leave, and it was to be his test of courage. And you can imagine this in the middle of the night, in the middle of a forest, hearing the the the. the the stomping of the little pitter-patter of the feet coming near and hearing everything, your, your hearing has become acute. You're looking around, you're moving your head in the direction. You want to pull off this mask. Being there alone in the middle of the night, but here's the surprise. At the very end of it, as soon as the, the, the tribesmen, as soon as the, the, the light came, the boy would rip off his mask. And you know what he would see? His father standing there the whole time with the stick watching over him. And the boy realized at that moment, his father, that he needed to trust his father. His father was going to be there. In other words, the right passage for that culture was learning to trust your dad implicitly. But folks, when it comes to American culture, we don't really have a right of passage. And this is one of the reasons why adolescence doesn't stop. 
And it goes on into the early 20s, 30s, and 40s, and 50s, and dare I say, the 60s. There is no rite of passage for a teenage boy in this culture. And that's what's sad. In fact, I'm going to read you this quote from Dennis Rainey. This is what he says. We are providing our teenage boys with many of the skills they need to succeed at work. But we fail to prepare them to be men of their word, faithful men at home. They have all the tools to find just about anything online, but they don't have the gear to know how to resolve a conflict with a friend or family member. We teach them how to drive a car, but not how to steer clear of alcohol and drugs. They know all the nuances of how to throw a curve or a slider or how to hit a baseball, but they are clueless about how to remain sexually pure. And you know that's the truth. We'd rather spend more time teaching our child how to play basketball than teaching them how to be pure. Let that strike home and see where your priorities are when it comes to the raising of your teenage boy. We guide them how to get into college and make the right choices in their career, but not in how to withstand peer pressure. Folks, God is calling his people to be responsible for their teenage boys. They are facing an epidemic. Sexual images are hitting them from all different facets. And God is calling his people, especially the men, the fathers, to teach their children how to be sexually pure in this impure world. Can you say amen to that? You have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. You are responsible for your teenage boy. And I understand that sometimes our teenage boys have already grown up and we missed all these opportunities, but folks, don't miss this. Tell somebody else who has a teenage boy, this is what you need to do. Don't give up on your son. Keep praying for him. He's going through so many hormonal changes. Things are growing. Things are shrinking. Whatever's happening in his body. And he needs to understand what's going on. And it takes a man to tell him. Can you say amen to that? God is calling for fathers to tell their children about life. Rather than Hollywood. Can you say amen to that? Training when it comes to teenage boys. Here are a few things. They need help dealing with pride and selfishness. Can you say amen to that? You've got to have straight talks with your teenage boys sometimes. You've got to sit him down. Instead of reacting and developing developing this distance, you've got to sit him down. And then you've got to tell him, I love you, but I want to speak very straightforward to you. We're all the men who are going to do that for their teenage boys. This is what the problem is. What else? They need to learn how to apply, learn and apply character qualities to real life. They need to know about the characteristics of a godly man and how you model it will determine whether or not they're going to go forward in it. Amen? Amen? You need to sit down with your teenage son and teach them what to do in various circumstances. Woe to those men who teach their children to follow the world. Woe to those men. Judgment is greater for you. God calls you to be responsible for your child and to train them in the right way. Folks, part of the Malachi message found in chapter 4 is that God will return the hearts of the father to the sons and the sons to the father. There will be a reconciliation, a family model that would be produced in the church. And the world will be drawn to it and say, what do you guys have? Amen? Watch what else. They need a relationship with their dad. Amen. They need a relationship with their dad. Teenage boys cannot be allowed to linger in adolescence. As soon as they become 18, they need to learn more responsibilities. If you're just okay with your son just sitting at home playing video games all day long, and he's not working, he's not going to school, then you are responsible. You need to make some strong decisions, and you need to say to your son, you need to be out there looking for a job. Amen? We can't enable them anymore. If you really love them, you're going to push them. Amen? Not push them away, but you're going to push them. Amen? Manhood. So you had boyhood, you had adolescence, manhood. Look what Ellen White says about manhood. I really love this. This is the, the prime of the male's life. 
God has shown us what constitutes true manliness. It is he that overcomes who will be honored and whose name will not be blotted out from the what? Book of life. She says this is the definition of a man. It's somebody who overcomes. Amen? You are given great responsibilities, and when you become a man, that's age 18 and up. Maybe it's not so much dependent upon the age, but your maturity level. There's 17-year-old men, and there's 40-year-old boys. When it comes to this, God calls men, and he says to them, found in Malachi chapter 7, I think, or 6, he has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to what? To do justly, to love what? Mercy and to walk what? Humbly with thy God. The Bible doesn't say a definition of a man is somebody who drinks a lot of beer, who shoots a lot of guns, and has a big belly and big arms and hair all over their face. It says this is the definition of a man, but it is somebody who does justly, who walks with justice in their heart, who loves mercy, who runs to the aid of those who are suffering, and he will help them, and to walk humbly with thy God. Can you say amen to that? That is a definition of what a man of God is. It's somebody who holds justice utmost in their heart, and they want to do what's right. It's somebody who loves mercy, who always wants to bless those who are less fortunate than they are. And somebody who walks humbly with God. Not just the courage to provide, not just the courage to, to protect, but the courage to pray. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Folks, I feel sad about this because there's not a lot of men of God anymore. There's not a lot of men of God. There's men of the world, men of the world, but there's not a lot of men of God. And I hope that our church starts becoming more and more filled with men of God, but guess where it starts? It starts with you. When they see the type of man you are, other men and boys are going to be attracted to that and say, that's the type of person I want to be. Someone who loves his church, who loves his family and stands up for what is right, that's the man I want to be. Amen? It's funny, Dennis Rainey in his book describes a very interesting experience of a moment when he was faced with courage his daughter had insisted on going to a school dance. And so he said, okay, I'm going to drop her off, but I'm going to go in there and check things out. And he went in there, and after about five minutes, he noticed that everybody was shaking everything on their body. And so he noticed two guys that were dancing with one girl inappropriately. And you would think, well, that's not his business. He needs to stay out of it. This was a junior high. He feels the conviction he needs to go say something. What would you do? You afraid of the 14-year-old pimple-faced voice? He said he walks right over there and says, please treat the girl with respect. And then he noticed all the other men start following, all the other followers, fathers start following his example too. They started breaking up this and say, you guys need to be more appropriate here. Folks, God calls you to stand up not just over theological controversy, but for what's right. Can you say amen to that? If you see injustice, you need to deal with it. And God calls you to be a man of God. He calls you to be courageous in this. He does not call you to be somebody of the world who runs away. He calls you to stand up for what's right. To love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Can you say amen to that? Courage to pray. That's the sign of a man. In that manhood stage, you get married. Amen? It's not good for man to be alone. That's the male number one verse in all the universe. Right? Men of God, in this stage, the Bible requires you to love your wife and to be willing to give up everything for her, to treat her like a lady. Can you say amen to that? Not disrespectfully. Amen? And by the way, I learned this from a marriage counselor. I want to recommend this to you. Don't ever insult your wife in front of people. Protect her reputation too. Don't even joke about her. 
in front of other people. God calls you. God calls you to protect the reputation because all those words carry weight. It's one thing if you're talking to a counselor. It's another thing when you're with your group of friends. That's my wife right there. What are you talking about? You guys are one flesh. You're talking about her. You're talking about yourself, brother. Amen? Folks, we need to understand this. When people start seeing more godly relationships, they're going to be drawn to this. And they're going to say, what is it that you have? How is it that you two are happy? That's unusual. It's not the norm in our society today. Sad to say the Adventist statistics have caught up and some of them have surpassed the world statistics when it comes to divorces. Mentor. Boyhood. Adolescence. What's the next stage? Manhood. And the stage after that? Being a mentor, right? And as a man begins to grow, he takes the responsibility being invested with the people around him. In fact, take your Bible to Acts chapter 16. I'm going to show you something where this was actually experienced. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. This is talking about Paul. Look what the Bible says. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named, what? Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a what? Now tell me about Timothy's parents. One of them was a what? One of them was a believer. She actually became converted. And the other was what? He was not a believer. Timothy grew up in a, you know, in a divided home like some of you. And he had to deal with this. But do you know who became a mentor to him? Paul. Even the Bible says, when Paul is writing letters to Timothy, he says, Timothy, my son. Timothy, my son. Timothy, Timothy saw this boy who had not been raised up in the ways of the Lord, and he invested himself in the life of Timothy, and Timothy went on to become a pastor. He went on to do great things. In fact, when you look at all the qualifications of an elder, you will not see the qualification saying things like knowing how to sing, knowing how to give offering calls, knowing how to make decisions for the church. If you want to see the qualifications of an elder, what you will see is, does he know how to raise his household? How does he treat his family? What type of person is he in his house? The characteristics of an elder are those characteristics of a godly father. Why? Because the church was supposed to be more organic than it was actually organized. And at the very top were to be fatherly figures who were to help other families that did not have fatherly figures, who, were dis, uh, who had just sort of gone off the mark, who would divide it. And these fatherly figures would help teach unity and harmony and godliness to those families. That's what a mentor was. Somebody who was willing to invest in the lives of other people, other men. And men need other men. Young men need other men. They need to see what an older male is like who loves the Lord. Not just the example they have in their lives. And for all those who heed this lesson, I want to tell you guys something. Praise the Lord, but you have work to do. There's families in this church who need help. There's boys that don't have a father, who need a father figure, who's willing to invest in them, not just emotionally, but even financially. Amen? I told you I was going to hurt somebody here. Not me. The word of God was going to. Right? I want you to ask yourself a question, man. Who can I mentor? Who can I disciple? Who can I be a father figure to? It's strange. I'm 32 years old, and sometimes I've always I've been a youth pastor. Was a youth pastor. <laughs> I... Uh, when I was in Arroyo Grande, I was there for a year and a half. I was a youth pastor, and I was 26 at that time. I had kids who came from broken homes who started calling me dad. And I was like, that feels weird. I'm not even married. I don't own anything except the car. But God was saying to me, Anel, this is because of what's in the world. The world is in need and is crying out for mentors, father figures, people willing to invest in the lives of others. When I became an Adventist, it was godly men, older men who said, Anel, I want to talk to you about something. And they put their arms around me, and after church service was over, they would have a straightforward talk with me. 
They weren't going to let me do things that I, 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 I wanted to do. They had straightforward talks with me, and I really appreciated it. And I said, wow, these are men of God. Now we're so afraid of offending people. Folks, talk to my youth. They appreciate when people are straightforward and honest with them. Not someone who equivocates and is afraid of talking to them about issues. I'll tell them straightforward because I care for them. And God is calling you to be a father figure to some boy here, some teenage boy here, a young man. Maybe in their early 20s, you still need to be a father figure to them. One of the reasons why homosexuality is rampant is not because people are just wicked and evil and want to do bad. It's the result. You will find out statistically because of broken homes. Molestation. You will find that to be the cause. It's just the effect of this problem. Folks, God is calling for his people to rise up to the opportunities. I want you to start praying right now and say, Lord, who is it that I can mentor? Who is it that you are calling me to invest in, to pray for? And God will lead you to somebody. He has somebody. But guess what? That's not all. The last stage, when the sun is going over the hills, those rays still shine out bright. The patriarch stage. The patriarch stage. Oh, I thought I was just supposed to sit in church and gawk at the sermon, and that was the end of it. You have a great responsibility. Patriarchs. These are the elderly, the older ones. And oftentimes, those who get into that stage begin to feel a loss of authority, a loss of influence. I remember when my dad, uh, when he got his driver's license taken away, it was a sudden shock to him. It's the stage where the kids have grown up and they're no longer listening to dad anymore. It's a humbling time. No question about that. But God has, still has a work for you. Amen? Look at these things. A patriarch is supposed to be a generational connector, a generational influencer, and a generational what? Intercessor. Folks, look at what Proverbs chapter 17, verse 6 is. Children's children. And what are children's children to a man? They're his what? Grandchildren are the crown of an old man. Part of being a patriarch is you are to be connected to your family. And you may have a son or daughter who is married to a spouse you don't love or you don't like. Be a Christian and love them anyways. Amen? Accept them and work with them and draw them to the Lord. I don't like my children. I don't like the people they married. And they're kids I love, but them, I, you need to love them. Part of being a patriarch, an older member of the church, a pillar, is that you are to have an influence. Look, folks, I want you to understand something. Uh, Robbie Zacharias said in one of his books called The Grand Weaver, talking about the things that take place, the sort of extraordinary and the ordinary experiences, and he talked about how elderly people sometimes reach one of two conclusions. Number one, they will become extremely bitter at the end of their life. And then he says the other one is where they become softened by the Spirit of God. I don't know what type of person you want to be. Are you going to be the grandparent that your grandchildren are going to rush to? Where your son or your daughter can find advice from you? And know they're not going to be scolded like a young child? A generational connector is somebody who is an elder, who is older, who is connected to all parts of his family. And he cares for them. And he's interested in them. A generational influencer the Bible says the strength, the, the power of young men is their strength, but the power of old men is their gray hairs. You got wisdom. You got wisdom we don't have. Amen? And we need to hear more from you. Not come hear more complaints, but to hear more from you. Amen? We need to know what's going to work, the experiences you have been through. We need to hear those stories of you struggling and fighting your way through. Amen? Where's that old-time religion? That's what Ellen White says. Where's that old-time religion? Folks, says, you are called to be patriarchs. And you know what else a patriarch does? I'm going to speak very frankly with you right now. Because this is the model I'm shooting for. 
He is called to support the church financially more than ever before. He's not hoarding away that money. He is called to support the church like never before. He is to use his resources, his time, for the building up of God's kingdom. In his twilight years, he is storing everything to see that God's kingdom keeps moving forward and keeps moving forward and keeps moving forward. And the last thing he is supposed to be, he is supposed to be a generational intercessor. You read the end of Patriarchs, of many of the patriarchs in the Bible, you know what they were doing? They would grab their grandchildren, their children, and they'd put their hands on them, and they would say special blessings for them. Folks, do you know that you elderly have special blessings that you can bestow upon people? That when you pray for people, God hears. You read the story of Abraham. You read the story of Isaac, the story of Jacob. Jacob called all his kids there, and he put his hands on them, and he prayed for them. Folks, you to pray for your families, that they would come to know the Lord. Many of you are probably converted because there was a grandparent who passed away who was praying for their child or their grandchild. You've got to pray for them. You are called to bless the people around you. You are called to be a generational intercessor. You are called to be a patriarch. Amen? Folks, you take a good look at this. You see the progressive steps of a man. You see boyhood. What's the next step? Adolescence. What's the next step? Manhood. What's the next step? Becoming a mentor. What's the next step? A patriarch. Amen? God calls you to be a man. You may be somebody today who thinks to yourself, I never grew up with a good dad. How am I supposed to be a man of God? God is your father. Amen? The Bible says in Psalms 27, verse 10, when my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Can you say amen to that? You may be somebody who's had some abuse when you were younger by your father. I want you to understand something. God is your father. And when you are calling him father, you know what you're acknowledging? You're his son. Amen? You know James White? You know who James White is? Husband of Ellen White, man's man, went through a lot in the development of the church, faced a lot of persecution, went through a lot of trial, lost children. So much disappointment. He was the epitome of what a man of God was, prayed. No money, he'd go out into the fields and work. He was a man of God. Do you know that as he lay dying, as sickness was coming upon him and the darkness closing in, his faith was firm and sure in God. But he had some words for those who were still alive. You know what they were? Where are all the men? Where are all the men? Story goes that as he began to say it, he said it louder. Where are all the men? Where are all the men of God? Where are all the men? Folks, I want to make an appeal just for the men. That's for the males. All the males in this church. God is calling you to, man, to be a man of God. To do what's right. To love mercy. To walk humbly with your God. To support this church. Support this family and support other families. God is calling you to rise up to the occasion, to be courageous for him, to be strong for him. Folks, I want to make an appeal to all the men. If God is calling you to be a man of God, not a man of the world, but a man of God, I want you to come up to the front right now. Amen. God is calling you to be a man of God. I want you to come up to the front. Amen. I appreciate that the young ones got up first. Amen. They're all special, all the men to come forward. If God is calling you to be a man of God, then you need to step forward and say, okay, God, I'm not sure I'm going to do this, but you're going to help me. Wives, be praying for the men in this church. Be praying that God would wake them up. You might have lost your father. I did 10 years ago, but guess what? God is my father. He steps in and says, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. I'll show you how to be a man. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Ladies, can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. 
Can you guys turn around? I want you to face this church. I want you to face this church. Take a look at the mighty men. Take a look at the men of God. Now, ladies, you got to do something. You got to hold them accountable. When they're coming up here, they're not just walking up here because they want to avoid embarrassment. No, no, no. They're coming up and saying, I'm going to be a man of God. I'm going to be a mighty man of God. We got to pray for them and ask that God will hold them accountable to this great privilege of serving and honoring Him. Amen? So we can have all the men kneel because we're coming before our King and our Savior God and lay your hands on somebody else. Put your hands on somebody else, another meal. And ladies, please bow your heads. I want you to pray for them. Pray that God's Spirit would be in them, that they would be the priest of the families, of their households. Father in heaven, we thank you. Because we are coming before you, Lord, just as we are sinful, full of failures, full of mistakes, God. Many of us come from households that weren't the greatest. But Lord, we thank you that you adopt us into your family and you ask us to call you Father. God, teach us how to be men like you. Give us hearts like you, Lord. Help us to rise up to the occasion to be leaders, to be the men you've called us to be in this dark world. Jesus, we're helpless without your spirit, and so we plead for the spirit of God. Lord, help us. And we pray that you would hold us accountable and help us to hold others accountable to being a man of God. And Lord, if we need to talk to another man, help us to do that. Give us courage. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, that you would call us your men. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.